Alright, so if you would turn with me in your Bibles, it's an exciting time. We're starting a new series. We're going to be preaching through the book of Exodus. I'm loving um, it. Really, what really emboldened us was that um, Pete and I preached through Genesis already. We, we, we actually did that, and we literally went through the whole book. And uh, there was only like one or two sections where there was some um, genealogies where we didn't necessarily preach. But we preached through the whole book. So we are going to go now. We took a little break before going into the second part, which is Exodus. And today we're going to look at chapter 1. Um, I, I had thought, you know, maybe I'll wait till we get to a more stable place. <laughs> well, with COVID, that could be a very long time. So I said, you know what? They had to go in the tabernacle from place to place. That's a perfect time to start Exodus. All right. So Exodus 1 is what we're going to look at this morning. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's holy. An errant word. Hear God's word to you this morning. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar. And with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiphrah and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless us our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, um, 
as, as helpful as the grammar police can often be, and you all know who you are, they're not always as helpful as they hope to be. So why do I say that? Well, in English, they tell us, you know, when I went to school, they always tell us, you never start a sentence with a conjunction. You don't start with and or you don't start with but. But here's the issue. In Hebrew and in ancient Greek, they didn't have such scruples. And very often they would start their sentences with and or but. That's just something that they did. Now, unfortunately, some of our English translations were more concerned with being grammatically correct with form than they were with being substantially correct with substance. And so we, we don't see the very first word in the Hebrew, which actually begins in this passage with and. Okay, so why? Wow, Santa, you, you know, what's the deal with the grammar lesson? Why, why is that so important, Pastor? Well, it's important because it shows us that Exodus isn't starting a new story. It's a continuation of a greater, bigger, overarching story. It's Genesis chapter 2. That's what's going on here. In case you didn't notice. It's the story of the patriarchs that God chose. I call that a darkness into his marvelous light by his grace. The story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's descendants. The continuation of God's promise. Listen to this. To make their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore. That's what's going on here. God's going to keep his promise. And as we open up to Exodus, we see that beginning to be fulfilled in a very huge way. It's about God's continuing promise to give them a land of their own, God's people in the Old Covenant. And also, more importantly for all of us, a glorious future in the kingdom of God with his king ruling us, Messiah Jesus, whom Moses is but a mere type, a mere shadow of the real deliverer, as we'll see as we study more and more through this awesome book. So we read, if you want to read literally, it says this, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, etc. So think of it this way. I'm a big, as you all know, I'm a big Chronicles of Narnia fan. You know, I, I love that series. I've read them numerous times. I've listened to the, the dramatic uh, retelling of the stories over and over in my car as I've taken long trips throughout the United States. But if you knew the Chronicles of Narnia, you know the whole overarching story is about the adventures of these children in the kingdom of Narnia. But then you have the segments. So Genesis would be the magician's nephew. That's the beginnings. And then you would have Exodus, believe it or not, in a sense would be the lion, the witch, the wardrobe, the one we're all, we all know well. And then there's the other books, but that's the whole point. It's really one story, right? Well, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and of course the rest of the Bible in a sense as well, is really one big story. And this is just the continuance of that great story of, listen to this, of God's amazing grace of saving a people for himself out of the world of lost, fallen, wicked sinners. Story of grace. Unmerited favor. So Exodus starts with God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob beginning to become a reality. So we read this. The Israelites were fruitful 
and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Where did we hear language like that in Genesis? Some of us might remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Go, be fruitful, and what? Multiply. That was the mandate before the fall. And then after the fall, same mandate, Genesis 9, 7, he says to Noah and his boys and their wives, Go be fruitful and do what? Multiply and do what? Fill the entire earth. Then we have to Jacob, where God says in Genesis 35, 11, Go be fruitful, fill the earth. I will make kings come out of you, nations come out of you. That's how Exodus begins. It begins with God's people in Egypt. They're becoming numerous in a foreign land. So they're filling it up, just like God said promised he would do for them but here's the issue as God's promise begins to gain some real traction because they start filling the place so much so that Pharaoh gets nervous right but just as that starts to happen trouble starts brewing on the horizon for the people of God you see those dark clouds they're rolling in you ever have that, that feeling when you see them coming by your house and it's so ominous and it's in the middle of the day and it just gets really dark and you kind of realize you've got to batten down the hatches. We read this in the text. Then a new king, and then literally, he, literally the text says, who knew not Joseph, not just about Joseph, knew not Joseph, came to power in Egypt. In verse 9 we read, Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them where they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So here's the thing. This new Pharaoh, he didn't have any knowledge of the history of Joseph. He didn't have any gratitude in his heart. If you look back at Genesis, if it wasn't for Joseph, Egypt would have sunk. So if you remember that the, the Pharaoh in Joseph's day loved Joseph. And he let, you know, he blessed Israel. He blessed Joseph and his clan, his family, because he knew it was through them he was being blessed. By God, he didn't worship, but nonetheless, he was being blessed. Well, this Pharaoh, he either he didn't study his history, or he knew, and guess what? He didn't care. How many people in our world today know history and continue to make the same mistakes over and over again? Hello, Napoleon. Hello, Hitler, I mean. here's the issue. All that Pharaoh could see was military loss and financial loss. Right? Oh no, they might fight against us if our enemies come. Or oh no, they might leave. And do you know what that meant? They might leave. Why would that bother him? Because there goes his workforce, his free workforce. Politics hasn't changed much, has it? But what's really on people's hearts and minds, it's all about this. Instead of King Jesus and righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. And I think it's, we, we can't help but see that how this rings true even in our own day and age. It's a clear reminder that the unregenerate world of lost sinners are blind spiritually and they cannot interpret the events, events right in front of them correctly. 
They saw the growth of God's people as a negative, horrible thing that needed to be squashed. And yet we see that was the very thing God was going to use to bless not just Israel, but the entire world. Because it's through Israel that who comes? King Jesus, the seed of Abraham. Because the world, they needed one thing that they don't have, and that's faith in God's word. We have the word of God. When we can't see with our physical eyes, we see with the eyes of our hearts because we trust the word of the Lord. If he says it's going to happen, it's as good as done, even though it's going to happen in the future. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Why not? Because they're spiritually discerned. Interesting. And so the very first timeless truth. See, I already told you the first point. Without you even knowing it, is this. God's work of grace can only be seen with the eyes of faith. God's work of grace can only be seen by the eyes of faith. So, so the new Pharaoh felt threatened by Israel's prosperity and he took action to curtail their growth and to keep them under his thumb. Look at verse 10 with me real quick. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forcible labor, forced labor, labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. And here's the second eternal truth I want you to, um, to see from this text. More often than not, listen, this is important. When God pours out his blessings upon his people, his church, whether that be in the Old or the New Covenant, the world pours out its hatred. We should not be shocked that when God pours out blessings, the world pours out venom. Goes way back, way back. Now, of course, those of us who are with Genesis, we remember it was only the second child born who was murdered by his brother, Cain and Abel. There already was the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman that were at enmity. Way back then, we should not be shocked. Particularly when we look at this text, this is what's really uh, incredible here. We get to see from the beginning that God was creating a people for himself, a holy nation. And in each day, each age, as it goes on throughout history, as he does so, the seed of the serpent, unregenerate sinners, think about it this way, will not be happy about it. They're not happy when they see a great awakening in society. They're not happy when they see people um, come to Christ and become Bible-believing Christians, which basically just means believing Christians. Because God said it, that settles it, we believe it. In New Covenant times, just so you see, this is a, a, an eternal truth that goes uh, across both covenants. Jesus put it this way. All men will hate you. Why? Why does Jesus say? Because of me. See, we can use the word G-O-D all we want. Use the word Jesus and watch reactions. God, come visit us in the flesh. The only name whereby we must be saved. Now, it's a bit of a paradox to be blessed by God all often means to be oppressed by the world. Uh, Dwayne Garrett, I have two quotes from this commentator. I read five commentaries, I think four or five this week, but the only two quotes I have are from the same guy because, man, he just 
had some good insights. He says this, a Christian congregation should expect and to endure hostility as part of the walk of faith. Many Christians endure severe persecutions today, especially in Islamic or communist countries. All Christians should identify with the persecuted church. Pastors should also preach of the need to pray for and support the persecuted church as needed, protect them, and suffer with them. You know, in America, we just have not faced this kind of persecution yet. Yes, we face certain amounts of oppression and persecution, but really it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to what we're seeing in this text. It doesn't compare to what happened uh, in the early church, and it doesn't compare to what's happening right now in all these other countries that we could list. Myanmar, Nigeria, etc. These are our brothers and sisters, and we need to be supporting them in prayer. And any other way that we possibly can. And also, we need to prepare ourselves. So, you know, that's the other thing. Oh boy, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble because it's not my, my notes. Whenever it's not my notes, I get myself in trouble. But here's the point. It doesn't matter who's the president of the United States. It doesn't matter even if things go crazy in this country. It doesn't have the same amount of freedom that it used to have. Of course I want freedom. I'm a human being. But ultimately, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be the church? Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar that's our king or King David. That's the question. It's God's people. Still got to be God's people. Even when Pharaoh is oppressing him. So third time was truth. Moving right on. Here's the interesting thing. This, this was so, this jumped out of the page of me when I was just reading it. It's so awesome. Timeless truth number three, the more evil oppresses God's people, the more God grows them. You see the text? The more he tried to stamp out God's people, guess what happened? It says the more they increased. It's God's way. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Pharaoh, most powerful king of his time. What was he to God? Nothing but a thing. You think he's going to stop God's plan? It's laughable. So Pharaoh ramps up his attack because he doesn't like what he's seeing. And he graduates from enslaving them, if you look into the text, to genocide, murder. And he does it on the down low. In case you didn't see this at first. First he oppresses them. That doesn't work. They grow like crazy. So then he goes quietly to the midwives. He doesn't make it a big policy so everybody knows about it. He just says, hey, midwives, when, when the Hebrew women, women give birth, kill the male babies. Let the, let the females live. And what's awesome here is because Shifra, Shifra and Pua's devotion to the Lord, they feared the Lord. They didn't carry out Pharaoh's dastardly plot. What happens? God blesses them with families of their own. Because they feared God more than they feared the king. They said, hey, you know, we'll do what we have to do. We want to be good citizens, as it were. But now you're telling us to sin against God. That we can't do. Now, they didn't say that to him. They did a little, little wartime deception, which we could talk about at another time. I don't have time to preach a whole message on that. But the point is, this was a time of war. And in a time of war, I will say this. You don't tell the enemy, listen, we're going to be coming front at your, from the front. 
And then we're going to we're going to have some people coming from the you know, other soldiers are going to come from the side. You don't do that. You deceive the other army because you're in war. And in this case, they did not want to sin against God by breaking the commandment: "Thou shalt not kill." And they weren't going to be a party to murder. And so it's interesting here. I thought, what would what would be the Pharaoh's theme song at this point? And I couldn't help but think of it. Uh, the old, huh? No, no, no. Pharaoh's theme song. Pharaoh's theme song was, I can't get no satisfaction. Because he couldn't even get two midwives to do his will in this one. So what does he do? He steps up the heat another notch. And this time he goes public. No more on the down low. Verse 22. Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every boy that's born of you must be thrown into the Nile. But let every girl live. Now here's the irony. It was that command that sets up the identifying, the calling, and the sending of God's deliverer, Moses. We're going to see that next week in chapter 2 when we find out that whole story. But it was because of that decree that Moses had to be hidden. Remember? And then his mom puts him in a basket, puts him on the water, and the water goes down. And then ironically, the Pharaoh's daughter finds him. The whole thing is just God almost a, a big joke on Pharaoh. Like, seriously? Guess what I'm going to do with that? One more quote. I told you another quote from Garrett. The result that would follow from this was altogether unexpected by Pharaoh. One of the Hebrew boys, who otherwise would, have, otherwise would have remained in obscurity, was found and adopted by an Egyptian princess, and he would rise up to break the power of Egypt. Isn't that awesome? Again, it foreshadows something else. Another child. It was not in a basket, but he was laid, what, in a manger. We remember another king who in madness said, kill all the babies two years, all the males, babies two years younger. His name was Herod. But let that sink in just for a second. In ordering the murder of all male Hebrew children, Pharaoh set in motion the calling of God's deliverer. Now, I believe it's Edith Schaefer who once gave this illustration. Uh, sometimes when, when you live long enough, you don't even remember where you found stuff and where you heard stuff. But I remember this illustration. I'm almost positive it's from Edith Schaefer. And she said, if you ever looked at a quilt when it's first being made and you look underneath it, it just looks like a bunch of yarn all mixed together with hodgepodge, not making any sense. But then when you look at the top of the quilt, you see this beautiful pattern with symmetry. It makes complete sense. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the plan and the will of God. In most cases, down on this side of glory. We look from up and we say, what is this mess? I don't understand it. I can't make sense of it. But when you look at it from the divine perspective, you see God does all things well. He has a plan and he will carry it out. And the devil himself ain't stopping it. I think that's so important. For us to see from this text this morning in our crazy age, in our confused, mixed up world that we live in. Now, I want to say this because I think it's important to understand this. This is not to minimize the reality that the people of God found themselves at this point in, in redemptive history. That, they, um, that their circumstances, notice, especially at the beginning, keep going from bad to worse. 
It's not to minimize the pain that we go through. It's not to minimize our trials. It's not to minimize the suffering of the people of God. Uh, verse 13, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. And we'll go on to see in, our, in the book of Exodus how ruthlessly they did use them and how awful these trials really were for the people of God in the Old Covenant. And we'll see how they responded to these trials and hardships. Not always the way God called them to. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, Moses had to put up with a lot. When I look back at Moses, I say, man, God had a supernatural power working in that man. But notice, uh, we started the service with this verse. These things were written down for us. The Old Testament books. To teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the, encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Romans chapter 15, 4. Why? Because we look back and we get to see a mighty deliverance from God for his people. A God who redeemed his people out of the land of bondage. We're, we're going to learn from this book about the sacrificial Passover, Passover lamb of God. How God provided atonement for his people's sins through the blood. We know who that is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But it all starts here. We're going to see how he does this to glorify himself, to create a people for himself, and most of all, to bring about his promised deliverer, the Savior of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's wonderful. But this morning, let's meditate and take to heart these important lessons that can give us great endurance in our faith, great encouragement of these particular scriptures that we might have something that we're going to need right now, and that's hope. When hope dies, a big part of us dies. Can I get a witness? We need hope in a time of pandemic that just keeps dragging on. I'm not going to keep asking for it. Come on, church. We need hope in a time when God's people are being persecuted and killed around the world for their faith. For their faith in one who's greater than Moses. We need hope in a time in our country of great political divide and upheaval. And where we're all just screaming at each other. And what's our hope? Our hope is the same hope that Israel had in their day. And here it is. That although they couldn't see it at the time, as we often can't see, even their suffering, listen to me now, church, even their suffering was a part of God's plan. Wow. We can see that, and God wants us to keep remembering again and again that when things seem bleakest for the kingdom of God, when the present and the immediate future doesn't look very good from where you're sitting, God is working out his plan right on time. He's going to listen. He's going to conform you to the image of his son. That's his goal for you. And he's not going to stop till it's done. And I got news for you. That's going to be painful. Because we got a lot of rough edges. A lot of rough edges. He's going to build his church. And the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. He promised it. And he is going to bring us 
safely home to his heavenly kingdom where there'll be no more crime, no more death, no more suffering, no more prayer requests for sick loved ones, no more funerals, no more hearing sirens, and we know what that means. And no more deep sorrow over the loss of loved ones where we are wrenched away from those who we love and who in this life we won't ever see again. You may or may not recall that when we studied God's covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 15, the Lord told Abraham ahead of time about this time that was going to happen in Exodus, about that his people would suffer in a foreign land. Let me quote that. Um, so Genesis 15, when God's given him that covenant to Abraham, the Lord said to him this, Know for certain that your descendants will be stranger in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So sometimes God will give us some inkling of why he's doing what he's doing. We get little hints if we stay in the Word. If we spend more time discerning God's mind as he's revealed himself in the word instead of every other avenue of information, which a lot of times is fake. On both sides, all sides. I ain't picking on anybody in particular, but everybody. So indeed, what God has done in the past stokes our faith in the present and gives us great hope for the future. So the last few moments here, um, there's one last thing I want to point out from the passage um, that will give us a good introduction, get us primed for next time, that you'll say, man, I want to be here next week as we get into that. And I want, to, I want to point something out from the passage that's really important for us to take to heart in these trying times that we live in. Indeed, in every age where the seed of the serpent is at enmity with the seed of the woman. I want to draw your attention to the two women whose names are mentioned at the end of chapter 1. You know who I'm referring to, the Hebrew midwives. And Moses, who's the human author of this, makes sure he names these ladies. Shifra and Pua. Now here's the thing about Shifra and Pua. They may not have understood why God's people were suffering so. They might not have understood God's big plan and what was going on and how it was being carried out in particular in their time. Um, as they looked out on the suffering of God's people. But you know what they did do? They trusted God in their own circumstances and they carried out the responsibility that God would have them carry out in their particular lot in life, their calling in life. God was asking them to be who they were supposed to be as his people in their sphere of influence. Can I get an amen? And I think today we, we, we always have these big ambitions. I want to change the world. And God says, I want to change you so that your world is changed. Your house, your job, your school, your sphere of influence. Be faithful to me there and trust me there. They risked their lives to save the lives of the Hebrew children out of reverence for God. And here's the interesting thing. Really interesting. Do you know it drives scholars crazy that none of these pharaohs are named by name? So we can't pinpoint exactly in history 
which Pharaoh this is referring to and when particularly in time it happened. But the author takes the time to mention two in seemingly insignificant ladies, Hebrew ladies, by name, so that even now we're still saying their names. We're still speaking about them and they're still being honored. You know why? Because in the kingdom of God, all that matters is faith. Not position, not power. You know what? Pharaoh meant nothing to God. We'll see later what he does with him. Actually, it'll be a different Pharaoh, because this one, I think, dies before then. But the position. Brothers and sisters, we might not be able to change the political scene single-handedly, but we can be used mightily by God if we simply live by faith in the very spot he has seen fit to place us in, as we put our faith in a mighty King Jesus, who can and will shake the heavens for his glory. Let's pray. Father, what a timely word. It's not my word. Thankful for that. I am weak. I am limited. Very limited. And I have no wisdom of my own apart from you. None of us do. So Lord, we acknowledge that your word is true. We acknowledge that you have kept every single promise you've ever made and you will continue to keep them all the way to Jesus returning and ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, Lord, may we too be granted that grace out of reverence and fear of you to live by faith and not by sight. And wherever you have placed us, to trust you and show our faith by deeds of kindness, mercy, love, and compassion. Lord, help us as well to have the boldness to spread your good news. And Father, for our brothers and sisters who now um, are paying with their lives for their bold profession of faith in you, Lord, strengthen our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and Myanmar and all the other areas, Lord, that you know of where your people are being oppressed. God, draw near to them. And we pray you would encourage their hearts and give them uh, great joy in believing until they see your face face to face. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.